Thank you for joining us for another episode of Baker Hosts Ad Nauseam, a podcast series focusing on new and trending advertising issues with an emphasis on the FTC and the NED. I'm Leah Brave and you're listening to Baker Hosts. We are once again joined by Amy Mudge and Daniel Kaufman, two partners from Baker Hostetler's advertising, marketing, and digital media team. Together, they have decades of advertising experience and approach advertising issues from multiple perspectives. And today, they have invited one of their favorite Baker associates to join the podcast, Jack Barry. On today's episode of Ad Nauseam, Amy, Daniel, and Jack will cover two issues that have been hot topics of late, issues around marketing of CBD and related products, and the new law that Congress recently passed called the Informat. With that, welcome to Ad Nauseam, and let's turn it over to Amy, Daniel, and Jack. Thank you so much, and welcome to another episode of Ad Nauseam. I'm Daniel Kaufman here with my partner, Amy Mudge, and we have two hot topics today, the marketing of CBD products and a new piece of legislation called the Inform Act, which just recently came into effect. So what do these things have in common? With that, I will turn it over to Amy, who loves to have some real neat and tidy segues that connect our podcast segments. Oh, oh, Daniel, this is a hard one. Wait a minute. I, well, I was first going to ask, since this is ad nauseum, if CBD has any beneficial effects if you're nauseous, just generally or maybe over our advertising law discussions. But I guess we'll wait for Jack, who's going to actually talk about CBD and what it is and what it does. But, hmm, okay, Inform Act is about allowing third parties to market on the internet Maybe if a platform is allowing companies to sell CBD on their sites, that they have to be subject to the Inform Act? It could be. It depends on how the definition of consumer products applies in Inform Act. But we'll talk about that later. Oh, whoa. That's very heady. <laughs> very, very heady. We're like all these definitions cross-reference each other and I'll spare you the details for now. Oh, oops, you did it again. You bored me a little bit, Daniel. <laughs> no, but I've been reading about the new Britney Spears musical that just opened on Broadway to pretty good reviews. The naysayers be damned. And I'm sort of shocked, Daniel, that we have somehow managed to get how many episodes in? Almost a dozen and have not <laughs> talked about Broadway yet. There's a lot to unpack there, as well as I'm going to save a deep dive into Britney for another day. But Tell me, what is your most hated Broadway musical, if there is such a thing? So I did see the Britney musical. It started here in D.C. <gasps> yeah, it's one of those things. After about 15 minutes, I was like, I'm really kind of enjoying this. <laughs> so got to say, that's not my most disliked. Most disliked by far, Miss Saigon. If I have to see that show ever again, and just the multitude of soaring ballads after soaring ballads, as well as just an annoying theme to the movie, you know, even the helicopter was not enough for me. So definitely most disliked Miss Saigon. How about you, Amy? Hmm. Don't sleep on DC for Broadway openings. One of my biggest regrets in life is Dear Evan Hansen, original cast, Ben Platt and all actually opened at Arena. And I could have gone every day and seen that miracle of a musical for a whole lot less money than I spent on aftermarket Broadway tickets multiple times. Mean Girls also opened here. I don't think I'd put Mean Girls in the same category as Dear Evan Hansen, but, but there you have it. My least a favorite Broadway musical, and it needs nothing more than to tell you what it is, is 
cat. <laughs> I've never seen it. I've never seen I saw like the first 30 minutes of the movie, which was pretty painful. I'm just not a big fan of that whole, that whole genre. Like, I don't know. I feel like that's kind of a lost couple of decades on Broadway. But anyway, all right. I'm very excited to introduce our guest here today and why he's our resident CBD expert. We have Jack Ferry, who's been practicing with us his entire career. I'm not sure if we've taught him good things or, or taught him bad things, but he's certainly taught us stuff about CBD, which is a very technical area. And he's really dug in and followed a lot of the developing state laws in this area, which we're going to unpack today. Thanks, Amy. I've heard your dear Evan Hansen take many times that you're you're very upset you didn't make it there, but I never knew you hate Andrew Lloyd Webber. I don't hate hates too strong. Hate strong, just not a not a big fan. Madonna <laughs> and Antonio Banderas and Avita. I mean, come on, it's Avita. I don't know what more you want, but I love Avita. A soft spot for cats. My Broadway takes might not be appropriate for ad nauseum, so this may be my first and last appearance. But we'll see. You're suspect. You're suspect. You're on the list. Yeah. Let's see what you do with the CBD slash cannabis slash hemp conundrum. I know about these things, remembering back to my high school days. Now with like my kids, like what is the difference between CBD, the cannabis, THC? Lay it on us. And if you bonus points, if you can sing it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't know if there's any uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber tie-ins there, so I'm at a loss. Well, to understand CBD, you're going to need to understand cannabis. I was going to say, I'm sure neither of you know anything about it, but Amy is already fessing up. So sounds like I can save that bit. But so everyone knows what cannabis is, but it's kind of confusing how it breaks down into THC, CBD, hemp, marijuana. So THC and CBD are both cannabinoids. And basically, cannabinoids are a substance found in the cannabis plant. When you look at the words, that becomes pretty clear. The difference between THC and CBD is that THC has a psychoactive effect. In other words, that's what Amy, you know, was looking for in high school. That's what gets you high. So CBD and THC both come from the cannabis plant, but only THC gets you high. And you might be thinking, so if CBD doesn't get you high, then what's the point? Why do people care about it? As we all know, cannabis is used in medical settings, and it's not necessarily the THC in cannabis that's having any medical benefit. You know, I don't think there's studies to understand that, but we, we don't really know what it is. And the idea is that CBD can provide the benefits of cannabis, but without the psychoactive component. And that idea is a lot more palatable to the federal government, which is, of course, very worried about people getting high in marijuana, but it's not so worried about CBD. The federal government permits the growing and sale of cannabis so long as that plant doesn't have a certain amount of THC. And this plant, this cannabis with a low amount of THC is known as hemp. If it has a high amount of THC, then it's called marijuana. And hemp is legal on the federal level and marijuana isn't. That issue can get a lot more complicated at the state level where there's been a ton of change over the last few years. We might have to save that for another podcast because with 50 state laws, it, it can take a little time. But, but suffice to say that it's been legalized significantly at the state level too, but with some more nuances in how the law works. Okay, no 50 state survey on this ad nauseum podcast. Phew! Tell us briefly what are the rules of the road when it comes to marketing CBD products? What have you really seen in this space? I mean, what, what's crazy about CBD is, you know, what haven't you seen? It's exploded in the marketplace after the Farm Bill passed in 2018 and legalized it at the federal level. 
all of a sudden you can find CBD in, in your local coffee shop, in the coffee, at the pet store, in the food, in treats, in your shampoo, and cosmetics. It was suddenly everywhere. But as you know, ad nauseum listeners probably know, just because the substance is legal doesn't mean you can put it in anything and market it any way you want to. So what kind of makes CBD more complicated is that it was an active ingredient in a drug product that was regulated by the FDA and approved at the FDA, or it was then legalized generally at the federal level. So the FDA understandably has some concerns with just permitting active ingredients and drugs being added to food and dietary supplements willy-nilly. You know, because of that kind of intersection, Technically, CBD is prohibited by the FDA from inclusion in food and dietary supplements. Even though you see it everywhere, technically, that's unlawful. And it's something that the, the industry and even the government and consumers, everyone's been hoping to fix that and been focused on it. But there really isn't an easy fix just due kind of to the, how the regulations are set up, the laws are set up, and the bureaucracy. And it seems like we're going to need Congress to pass a law in order to fix it. And as we all know, that's not necessarily something that happens quickly and easily. Definitely takes a while. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of we're in this no man's land right now a little bit where food and dietary supplements can't contain CBD. But of course they do. And FTC and FDA, they're both using their enforcement discretion and they're not going after any company that puts CBD in food or dietary supplements. Instead, they've really limited their enforcement only to companies that go steps further, you know, usually many steps further with, with their claims. For example, companies that say they have CBD products that prevent COVID or they cure cancer or they cure Alzheimer's that make these really aggressive disease treatment claims. Those companies have been the target of government enforcement and received warning letters. but. You know, as we all know, CBD is still present in food and dietary supplements on the marketplace. It's technically illegal, but, you know, the FDA and FDC are practicing enforcement discretion right now and not taking those all off the marketplace kind of while they figure out how they're going to approach this in the long term. Jack, so I know there was an announcement recently from the FTC about some warning letters that they issued about THC, not about CBD. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, and not to confuse our listeners even more, though they're all very bright, so I'm sure they'll <laughs> I'll be two steps ahead of us. We anything. know the demographics. So. <laughs> they also love Britney Spears as much as we do, so, you know, don't, don't talk too quickly. <laughs> and I want to say it is a huge honor to be here. I feel like Britney receiving her Grammy, you know, that's what it's like to be on this podcast. So. <laughs> Can't wait to send it to, you know, my mom and relatives. <laughs> And this is why Jack Ferry is such a successful associate, people. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, there, there has been recent activity kind of in this area, in a related area. The FTC sent out warning letters about Delta-8 THC. And this is something I've had to Google. It's like, okay, there's THC, there's Delta-8 THC, Delta-9 THC. What's the differences? I talked about cannabinoids before. Delta-8 THC is basically a third cannabinoid. It's different than CBD. It's different than what we know of as THC. But what we think of as THC is Delta-9. So Delta-8, as you might expect, is similar but slightly different. You know, this technical difference is what allows sellers to say, hey, we're compliant with federal law because, you know, we come from the hemp plant. They're able to make it out of the hemp plant, out of CBD even. So there's this kind of facial compliance, even though Delta-8 THC does have some of the psychoactive effects 
that Delta 9 THC does. It's supposed to be milder, but that's kind of what it is. It's, you know, there's an argument that it's legal, but it has some of the effects that the government is seeking to regulate. And because it's ad nauseum, we wouldn't be talking about it just if the FTC was regulating it. We're talking about it because they were concerned with advertising issues. The sellers that received warning letters, they were selling products like Cheetos or Nerds or Doritos knockoffs that then they had inserted Delta 8 THC into. So it looked like and used a lot of the same, you know, trade dress and such as Doritos or Cheetos, but it contained Delta 8 THC. So it could potentially get you high. And, you know, understandably, the government was concerned about this because they say, hey, by selling them to look like Cheetos or Nerds, you're marketing to kids. Kids like to eat these products, they're marketed to kids. And while it might technically be legal, we're not going after that in these letters, you, we still have to be sure it's safe for children. Even if something's technically legal, you still have to have those appropriate guardrails in place. And the FTC has a lot of concerns that isn't the case with these Delta 8 THC products. So they're telling these sellers to knock it off with their knockoff food products. Kids love Cheetos. I think Cheetos are an all ages food. We'll deal with that when we dive into COPPA probably. I mean, it's interesting. I guess part of it was the marketing to kids, but also part was, I thought, the core safety issue that a kid wouldn't recognize that, you know, this isn't normal candy, that this had something extra in it. So there could be accidental consumption. Jack, you did, I think, I think it might have been one of the first or maybe the first NAD case that looked at CBD in cosmetics, the Tyloni case. Do you remember that one? That was a few years ago. Yeah, so we represented a company that was basically concerned that its seller, its competitor, selling a product that claimed to have CBD, but didn't really have any in it. They did testing, you know, you can test for these things. And they said, hey, we're finding like no CBD in this. Yet they're saying there's a ton of CBD and people are buying it, competing with our product that does have CBD. You know, so that made it a very straightforward case. It was all about the facts. Like, does this have CBD or doesn't it? And it turned out it didn't. I don't think they intended to falsely market a product, but I think they just were confused over what CBD is because uh -huh. you can have hemp extract, which as we talked about is where CBD comes from, but not all hemp extract is CBD. There's tons of other cannabinoids, other stuff in there. So while you might be getting some CBD, you, you have to isolate it in order to have a pure CBD product. And basically they didn't seem to isolate it. So they were selling something that had a much smaller percentage of CBD than they claimed to. You have to be careful about marketing how much CBD is in your products, but also on what the CBD in your products does for you, regardless of the amount. Yeah, and that's something we hinted at before, and people probably weren't surprised to find out that, oh, yeah, we can't say our CBD product cures Alzheimer's. You know, no surprise there. As with any claim in advertising, you got to be able to substantiate it. And it's really difficult to substantiate CBD claims right now. There isn't a lot of testing. There's a lot of ideas about what it can do. But there's very little scientific proof for backup right now. All of those claims are a little subject to, to extra scrutiny and potentially enforcement from competitors or from class action suits or from the government, potentially less likely. But it's just unclear that the CBD is having the effect that any of these products are claiming it does. NAD is the perfect venue for something like that. If the FTC or the FDA or the other enforcers are really focusing on the extreme cases, NAD is a great place where competitors who are watching things can really level the playing field. I'm surprised we haven't seen more of these cases at NAD, and I suspect we will in the future. All right, let's turn to the INFORM Act. 
Daniel, can you walk us through what the Inform Act is? It was a little bit of a sleeper. It kind of appeared and everybody was talking about it. So which of our clients need to care about this and what do they need to know? So it is in effect already. So hopefully our clients who care about it and need to know about it are compliant already. But look, the bottom line, it's a bill that appeared at the end of last year in the 4,000 plus page appropriations bill that gives the FTC new authority and requires certain activity on behalf of these are consumer directed platforms that have or host online marketplaces where third parties can sell new or used consumer products. So certainly a lot of the online platforms that you and I shop at that have third parties selling consumer products are subject to this law. And it's interesting, we're used to talking about data minimization and encouraging companies and platforms to collect less information, but here there is required data collection of high volume sellers on these platforms. And high volume, not a big threshold, it's about $5,000 in some contexts, but it requires these platforms to collect address, contact information, billing information, verify the information, and also requires them to suspend third-party sellers that aren't complying and providing accurate information about who they are and, and what they're doing. So it's an interesting statute, and it just appeared in this appropriations bill at the end of last year. All right, so why drop this in the appropriations bill? This seems like something fairly uncontroversial, if there is such a thing on the Hill these days. Yeah, no, I don't think there's anything on the Hill that's non-controversial. Every once in a while, you know, appropriations, it's an enormous bill, 4,000 plus pages last year, and stuff gets put in there. A couple of years ago when I was at the FTC, um, you know, we woke up after <laughs> appropriations was passed and the FTC had authority on horse racing integrity. You know, you and I haven't talked about that much because it's not really an advertising issue, but stuff gets put into appropriations. And this certainly is one of those things. Now, there is an important purpose for the Inform Act. The, the purpose here is to provide transparency in order to address issues involving stolen, counterfeit, or unsafe items that might be sold on these kinds of platforms by third parties. So that's certainly the goal to make sure that that information is collected about companies or individuals that are selling on these platforms. All right. So this was one of those motley collection of acts that the government passed and said, FTC, you enforce it. We spend a lot of time focusing on the FTC Act, but there's a whole lot of other stuff like this that enforcement is responsible. Daniel, can you tell us when we should expect to see enforcement in this area? What enforcement might look like and when? So the law went into effect in late May. The FTC put out consumer education. It sent out a bunch of warning letters telling companies, hey, this is in effect. You better comply. It gives the FTC civil penalty authority. So they've got a powerful tool here. And look, when Congress gives an agency authority to do something, Congress will follow up eventually and say, hey, we gave you this authority. What's happening? Why haven't you brought any cases? So it is almost a given that at some point in the next year, we will see some more FTC activity in this area. It could be a sweep of third-party platforms to see if they're in compliance. It could be some initial law enforcement actions. But we almost guaranteed when the FTC gets this kind of authority that you will see some law enforcement activity. And I assume this act comes with penalties as well, which is something the FTC likes to use these days. Yep, it comes with penalties. And also the state AGs have enforcement authority here as well. So the state AGs can also bring actions. Is there a private right of action under the statute or is this nope. limited? No private right of action. But one of the interesting things is one of the requirements is that the platforms have to have reporting mechanisms in place to report if they're seeing noncompliance on the platform, because part of the requirements include 
mandatory disclosures on the product listings for high volume sellers. So again, there are things about the platforms that you might see that look a little bit different because of this statute and because they have to have a means for consumers to file complaints. Well, this sounds like something that's going to be an enormous pain. (laughs) Yes, yes, it is. I can tell you that. I suspect this is going to be something that luxury good manufacturers are dancing in the streets and having a ticker tape parade for because of the proliferation of fake goods or diverted goods. Hit the nail on the head. There are some very happy parties now that this law is in effect and some parties that are less than happy. So we'll see how this plays out. All right. Well, with that, we've come to an end of another episode of Ad Nauseum. When we come back, we will talk about our favorite Broadway musicals and perhaps, I can't believe we got through this without talking about it, our favorite Britney Spears songs for another day. Thank you so much for joining us. That is Ad Nauseum. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you, Amy, Daniel, and Jack. If you have any questions for Amy, Daniel, or Jack, their contact information is in the show notes. For more information on the latest developments in ad law, visit our Attorneys Law blog at attorneyslawblog.com and check out all Ad Nauseam podcasts by subscribing to Baker Hosts wherever you get your podcasts. As always, thanks for listening to Baker Hosts. Comments heard on Baker Hosts are for informational purposes and should not be construed as legal advice regarding any specific facts or circumstances. Listeners should not act upon the information provided on Baker Hosts without first consulting a lawyer directly. The opinions expressed on Baker Hosts are those of participants appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect those of the firm. For more information about our practices and experience, please visit bakerlaw.com.